0: Whether you're looking for a convenient refresher course, or a way to earn your pragmatic certification at your own speed, or the chance to take a pragmatic course from your specific corner of the world, then Foundations On Demand is the solution you need. Get the same great content, tools, and templates our Foundations course is famous for in a flexible and easy-to-use online learning platform. Learn the skills you need to build and market products people want to buy. And earn your Pragmatic Institute certification anywhere, anytime. No more travel worries. No more time zone issues. Just truly great training. Experience the new way of training with Foundations On Demand from Pragmatic Institute. Visit pragmaticinstitute.com foundations to learn more.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Pragmatic Product Chat series, where we tackle the biggest challenges facing today's product management, product marketing, and other market and data-driven professionals with some of the best minds in the industry. I am Rebecca Caligeris, Vice President of Product Strategy at Pragmatic Institute, and your host for this episode. And today, I am joined by one of our oldies and goodies. I mean that in both ways. Mark (laughs) Stiving, who is the Chief Pricing Officer for Impact Pricing, he is my favorite pricing guru. He is a pragmatic instructor and an all-around good guy. Welcome, Mark.
2: Face it, I'm the only pricing guru. There
1: are others who would deny that, but you are my first and favorite. There is no question. All right, so I think one of the things that we all know with today's economy, where certainly there's lots of people, companies that are struggling a little bit with revenue and places, and I think it's such an important time to ensure that we are not leaving revenue on the table and that we as product managers and product marketers are having the fastest and most and strongest impact on revenue that we can. And one of those levers, as I know, Mark, one of the key levers we can use is pricing. And in particular, in a time like this is how can we raise prices and how raise prices, raise profit straight to the bottom line. It sounds lovely. Let's do it. But I think there's the fear. There's the fear of if I do this, how much will I lose? So how... Today, I really want you, Mark, to talk us through how we can fearlessly raise prices. Now. (laughs) Yes, right now. (laughs) Not tomorrow, but now.
2: Great, great introduction. So what Rebecca just did was she told you that I gave a presentation a week or so ago at the Professional Pricing Society, and it was called Fearlessly Raise Prices Now. And Mm. that's what we're going to talk about today. Yes. How do we raise prices now? Now, first off, with inflation going on, every single company should be thinking about raising prices. There's no doubt. But there's also no doubt that everybody is scared to do it because you haven't done it in 40 years. We haven't had this big inflation problem. And so how is it that we can raise prices? And what one of the things I did was I just went through and I said, are there some quick hits, some things that we can do to get some of our prices up quickly that aren't super scary, that are things that we could do relatively easily. And so that's what we're going to go through today. We're going to go through several of those quick wins that we can use. And what you're not going to hear me say is let's raise prices across the board. Now, now maybe that's a good thing for your company, but that's the scariest thing, right? To just raise prices across the board. So let's jump in and talk about six individual things we could talk about. Do you want to say what's number one, Mark? What's number one, Mark? excellent (laughs) (laughs) so the first one is simply will i products now we teach this concept in the price class will i versus which one and the real definition of a will i product is a product where people typically make decisions to buy your product without looking at competitive alternatives and almost guaranteed every single company look across your portfolio you've got some will i products in your portfolio so these could be accessories or add-ons or options you've got to your current product line if you were to raise the price on those will i products by 10% today it doesn't change any demand and you just made 10% more profit 10% more revenue as profit
1: with a will i I am very aware a will I is you're either going to do it or you don't. And so pricing has less of a factor in it. There is probably a point though, when it's too much, will I or not, but there is a, there's a price implication while it is smaller. How does a company feel confident that they're not near that edge? That if they raise it one more, we're going to flip out.
2: I think that it never happens that there's, if you I raise it one more, the market will flip out. I think what happens is if you raise it one more, you'll start to lose some customers or more customers than you're comfortable losing. Okay. And so my recommendation would be, as you change your price on your will I, let's watch the re- customer reactions, right? If this happens to be a subscription, and as a subscription, by the way, anybody who's paying next month for your subscription is a will-eye customer, mm. right? Every month you pay for your subscription, it's just a will-eye customer. So what we want to do is we Bond want to start watching and
1: subscriptions. It doesn't have to your point you where know, you add 10 cents per subscriber. It doesn't necessarily hit them or trigger them, but man, that's again, just straight profit to the bottom line.
2: Yep. Yep. And our third trick is going to be talking about existing customers. So let's hold off a little bit on that. If let's that's okay.
1: Number two altogether. How's that going to make number two feel Mark?
2: I know exactly.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's going to make number two feel like number two. That's what it's going to do.
2: It is. Okay. Let's talk about existing customers. So that we'll make that our number two today.
1: Okay, excellent.
2: And so that way it fits in with Will.i products. So existing customers, if you've got a subscription going on right now and you've got a series, a bunch of people who are already subscribing, what you want to do is rank order your existing customers for who gets the most value from your product and who gets the least value from your product. And then take the 20%, 25%. I don't care what the number is, but take the 20% of the people who get the most value and raise their price. Mm. And guess what's going to happen? Nothing except they're going to pay you more money and then go down to the next 20% and watch what happens. And maybe you lose a customer, maybe not. And then do the next 20%. And now you might start losing a few more customers than you're really comfortable and then stop raising prices. So the people who get the least value from your product, we never raise their price. And so what we just did was raise prices on customers who who actually get a ton of value from our product, they're willing to pay us more. And the people who aren't getting a ton of value, we didn't raise their price.
1: So how so I could tell totally, I'm picturing this even you right know from your subscription programs, there's the ones that you watch all the time and there's the ones you like have one show you check on every once in a while. How does that work and how do we do that effectively when it's something where pricing is fairly public, right? where there is a list price that I'm going to have to deal with. And then there is discrepancy among that. Do I need to package it as special features? Do I need to say it's based on usage? How would I do this?
2: Fabulous. I'm going to jump to number three, and then we're going to combine one, two, and three all at the same time.
1: Please note that I don't know what order these are in. So this has just been fortuitous.
2: <laughs> there really is no order. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Clearly not, or I wouldn't be out of asking out of order.
2: <laughs> so number three is new customer. So in the world of subscriptions, what I love about raising prices on new customers is they didn't know what the old price was. True. And so it's like an easy thing to do. Let's go raise the price. And now what you're going to do is you're going to watch the conversion rates to make sure that you're not, that you're still winning the rate that you think you should be winning. Odds are really good. Your competitors have raised price or your competitors are going to follow you and raise prices. And so raising prices on new customers right now is one of the easiest things you can do. Now, the reason that fits in with the existing customers piece is for the sake of argument, you're charging $100 a month. And we decide that we're going to raise prices on new customers by 20%. So we now charge $120 a month. That's what it says on the website, $120 a month. Now let's go to those existing customers. If we had existing customers who were paying us $100 a month, we can take the ones who get the most value and we can raise their price to 120. And the ones who are getting the least amount of value, we just leave the price at 100. We never touch it. They're not going to our website saying, hey, I wonder if they raise prices. And by the way, even if they are, they don't care. They're not going to be like, oh no, I want to pay more. Exactly, exactly. So as long as we raise prices on our new customers or on our website, however we want to look at that, as long as we raise those prices first, then raising prices on existing customers becomes much easier there.
1: Excellent. All right. So we have Will I products. We have existing customers starting with the those who get the highest value and moving down to start to see drop off. And then you have new customers because they don't know the difference. And what I set their upper price as I can actually use as cover to raise the existing customers who get the most value.
2: Yep. Absolutely. Three. What's number four? That's number. That's three of them.
1: Right. Number four, it,
2: this is another concept we teach in the price class. Excellent. And it's price segmentation. So most companies don't do enough price segmentation. So true. And so my recommendation is look through the three techniques that we teach on how you can segment your market. Those three techniques, by the way, are what are the characteristics of the customer? What can I learn at the time of the transaction? And what are some behaviors they exhibit, or what are some hurdles that I can put in their way to make them jump to prove to us that they're price sensitive? And so pick out, go through all of those, do some brainstorming, figure out where the next price segment should be, and then add that as a price segmentation technique. Now, a trick I like to use is have clients list a whole bunch of customers, and then rate the customer's willingness to pay on a scale of one to five. And now look at all the fives. What is it that they have in common? Mm. And when you start to do that, you could say, oh, these guys all bought in December. Or these guys are all bigger customers. Or these guys are all in the medical industry. Yep. Or whatever it happens to be. And now we start to see this is where the segmentation can come in. So we can add a new price segmentation technique. Now, my recommendation is always to add one more new price segmentation technique. And the reason for that is if you add more than one, every time you add a price segmentation technique, you complicate the internal workings of your company. So Hmm. now we have to keep track of which segment are you in and we send you a different quote and we have to invoice you differently and sales has to know the difference. And so every time we add one, we get more complicated. But I can almost guarantee you that you have room to add one more. So go add one more, see how it works out. And then maybe add another one after that, but just do them one at a time.
1: Makes sense. And I love that as like a, when people are like, I don't know how to segment. That's how people are, right? Like it feels overwhelming. You're like, we should totally do that. That feels overwhelming. That like list some customers and do a gut check and use that to kind of affinity map and see where you see commonality is a great way to jumpstart that effort. Love number four.
2: Nice. You didn't like one through three?
1: I did one through three. They're just, they're <laughs> each good. Four. What's you have five. Maybe five's the bad one. Maybe five's the stinker that's hiding in between. What's uh, number five? Ways to raise prices without fear.
2: Okay. So this one's interesting. It might take a few extra, this one might take a tad bit longer than the other four, but I call it de your product. So here's what's happening is right now, your customers are looking at your product and they're asking you for discounts and you're trying really hard to hold price, but you can't hold price. Here's my recommendation. Create a new version of your product by simply taking stuff away from whatever your current product has and charge a lower price. And then never discount your current product. So anybody who wants a discount, they have to buy the despect product.
1: What if the things that they don't feel willingness to pay are the things that once they start using it will actually deliver value?
2: Two thoughts. Number one is we could upsell them into that in the future. Fair. Right? So maybe we could upsell them. And, and number two, maybe we chose the wrong things to take out of our product.
1: Oh, that's fair. It doesn't have to be what they ask for per se. Right? Yeah.
2: So let me give you an example that I used. We actually use this example in the price class for something different, but I'm going to use it here for just a second. And that is the difference between Del Monte green beans mm-hmm. and Safeway or store brand green beans. So imagine you're Del Monte and you're selling green beans and people are super price sensitive and they're saying, Hey, I can't afford these. I'm not going to pay for these. I want to negotiate with you for a can of green beans. And you say to yourself, you know what I could do is I could put a different label on my can of green beans and call them Safeway or call them store brand, and I could sell them at a lower price. And now people are willing to pay me my full price for my green beans and I don't have to discount them anymore. And that's really what we're talking about.
1: And in that case, too, you actually didn't take anything out of the green beans. I don't think Del Monte like selects these particular green beans for these cans, but I have separated the discount value from the brand of which I want to keep as a premium.
2: Yeah. And so what they took away was the brand. That was it. Interesting. By the way, I don't know that's a true story. That's just a fabulous example.
1: Right. (laughs) If someone's from Del Monte is listening, please let us know. But yes, it does seem like like a logical spot. If it didn't work out, they'd have gotten canned. (laughs) (laughs) Bad jokes. Thank you. All right. So despecking. what you're going to do is if they're going to pay less, they're going to get less. And that protects the integrity of the brand and the product and the value that you've associated with it.
2: Yes. And so essentially we raised prices by stop giving discounts. Yes. That's the key point.
1: I'm going to have to hit that in a second too. But number six, give me number six.
2: Number six. Let's raise prices by stop giving discounts.
1: <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> no, so actually,
2: six is a different one, but it's the same point. And that is this. Change your sales commission structure. Ooh. So if you are charging salespeople based on, I'm sorry, if you're giving salespeople commission based on percent of revenue, that's actually not incentivizing them to hold prices. Correct. There's a fabulous story in the book Freakonomics, which is, what, 20 years old now or something? It's a pretty pretty old book. But they talk about Chicago realtors. And they were looking at realtors who sell their own house versus realtors mm. selling other people's houses. And when they sell their own house, the house stays on the market about 10 days longer, and they get about a 3.7% higher price. Oh, wow. And that's because the commission of 3% of whatever the incremental price is doesn't mean much to the realtor. But if they're keeping it all, it means a lot. And so what we need to do is change the incentive plan for our salespeople so that they're truly incentivized to say, look, I need to hold price up. Um, I have a recommendation for how to do this relatively easily. And that is create, for every product, create three prices. Those three price points are your list price, your floor price, and your target price. If a salesperson can sell something at list price, give them a huge percentage. Mm. If they sell it between target and list, give them a mid-size percentage. And if they sell it below target, but above floor, give them a low percentage. And now every salesperson is incented to at least sell to target, if not try to sell to list.
1: So they would get not only is the overall revenue of the ticket higher, but their percentage rate is higher, which would like magnify the difference in in commission that they would do. Absolutely right. And it doesn't, I was thinking you're going to be like, so you should commission on margins or EBITDA. And I was like, that's a little tough, but this makes sense. It's Again, it also makes it very transparent to the salespeople. Like you control this. You fight for every, as we always say, you fight for every percent. And this way, it very much ties them to that. That's a fantastic idea. Do you have any companies that have done that? None that I can mention.
2: But okay. yes, I do have companies that have okay, done that. that's fine. But, I don't
1: know specifically, but like yeah. with Acme Company, yeah. I'd so, be curious as to how that rollout went. How was it? How is it received by the sales team? What kind of behavior is it affected? How quickly? Yes. Yeah,
2: so I think it's perceived well because it's understandable. That's mm-hmm. the key. And so we end up driving the overall average selling price up, which is exactly what we want because every new dollar is actually profit. It's not, I mean, it is revenue, but it's really profit because it didn't change our costs at all. And so the sales team liked it. The key, the hard thing is creating the target price Mm. because you know what your list is. Your list is what's the most you've ever sold it for in the past. That's a great list price. And if you want to inch that up a little bit, that's great. Your floor price, you could think of that as what's the lowest I would want to accept, Mm -hmm. or maybe what's the lowest I would give my salespeople the authority to go to without me being involved with. And then the target price is the hard one. And the easiest thing to do to start with a target price is to calculate your average selling price today and say, that's my target. Or a sad bit above the average selling price and say that's my If you feel
1: like you have been seeing creep down of your average, your actual price, then yes, you could put that floor there. That's interesting. Yep.
2: And then over time, you manage those three price points, right? What's the floor target and list price?
1: Again, it's super interesting because it is very transparent and understandable for the salespeople. And also, again, like they know what they closed it at. They know they have all of the control in that spot. So it's... Definitely interesting.
2: And you can certainly pitch this as mostly upside, right? Because today salespeople discount too much, too often. We're paying them some amount of revenue on average selling prices that are lower than they should be. And so for us to pay a salesperson a higher commission rate because they're getting us higher average selling prices, which happens to be all profit to us, that's awesome. Who cares?
1: Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's all good. And, And again your list price is already the one it's established. There's no, maybe they could charge above that. That's not what we're looking for. It's, this is what it is. Protect as much as you can and we will all benefit.
2: Yep. Yeah. And I have no qualms about giving salespeople a huge percent at list price.
1: I love that. All right. So six, six ways to fearlessly raise prices now. So let's go. So as will I products focus on the ones where they're not making a you or them decision and raise prices right away. Then it's existing customers looking at raising the prices based on those who get the most value. New customers, like just go raise that price and watch your conversion (laughs) rates to make sure you haven't gone too far. Segmentation, I say it over and over because not enough people really look at segmentation as and to take one segment and adjust prices there at a time. One segmentation strategy at a time great exercise on how you can get some early segmentations or to your point, go to our price class. We talk about three different types of segmentation. There is money in those hills and there's money that makes sense to the buyers to give. right? Like it is really thinking about what matters to them. Despecking the product, which means, look, if you get to a point and you have to do a discount, you're not going to discount it on the product as it is. You're going to discount on a model that's stripped down so that you don't erode your value. And your last one, which is change your sales commission. The other piece I would say with this is in one through five as well, I think there is still sometimes some of the fear that comes with raising your prices is that sales doesn't believe in the increase. while they like the idea because it would raise value. Their immediate thought is nope. They don't have confidence in our reasoning or confidence to stand in front of the customer and explain why it is being delivered. And I know that's something you talk about. So how can, as we do any number of these Do we also increase sales confidence in order to hold to that higher price besides changing their commission?
2: Yeah, I love that question. And I actually think this has, although it's a great time, it isn't tied to inflation and raising prices. And it's something that we should always be thinking about. And that is, how do we get our salespeople to understand the value of our products? And the value of our products is always in the minds of our buyers. Always in the minds of our buyers. And I find it amazingly fascinating that salespeople, product managers, and product marketers don't understand how buyers perceive value. So I just think that is fabulous or fascinating to me. And so I think if you spent extra time studying value, studying how customers perceive value, making sure your salespeople understand that, I think that's a huge win. And and I'm sorry, can I teach one more quick point, Rebecca? Of course. So I do that using something I call value tables. I think you and I have done a podcast on value tables Mm -hmm. in the past, but real quickly, a value table has four columns to it. One, I usually start with solution and that's because people think about their products first. And so the solution is your product or it's your favorite feature of a product. You only built that feature because it solved a problem. And so the second column is the problem. Pragmatic loves this column, right? It's (laughs) the problem. What's the problem? Big fans. If somebody has a problem and they buy your solution, what's a quantifiable result? So the third column is the result. And so think of it as 2% more productivity, 1% less turnover, right? There's some number that you can put to the result they might expect to get. And then if you have business acumen and you're selling B2B, you can take almost any result and calculate how much more profit that makes a customer. When you can learn to do those four columns, you now understand the value of your product to your customers.
1: And that's exactly it. Teaching the sales team to understand how your buyers value and then Absolutely. showing them how, it, how that ties to your product is going to give them the confidence they need.
2: Absolutely. Can I share something with you, Rebecca? Don't tell the listeners this, if that's okay. Okay.
1: Everybody Um. shut your ears, but (laughs) I don't know how we'll figure that one out. Okay.
2: (laughs) As I've been helping companies with these value tables, the single hardest column to get right is the problem. I find it so amazing that as a pragmatic instructor, I've been teaching problem. What's the problem? What's the problem? And people just don't understand problems. It is amazing.
1: It's hard to get out of your brain of solution and features and what you do. It really is.
2: It really is.
1: All right. You've been here before, Mark. You know my final question.
2: I only you, have to pick two of the six.
1: All right. You, well, I know. I was say you can't pick six. So you, two things you want them to do differently uh, tomorrow uh, based on. Pick your two favorites. Pick your two favorite kids there.
2: <laughs> uh, I'm going to pick number one and number six.
1: So will so- I products and changing your sales commission.
2: I think Will I products is so darned easy and not enough people understand the concept. So just go study Will I products and you're going to find that's free money. It's easy to do. And then number six, sales commission. I like that one because I think it has, if you've got a direct sales force, it has an incredible impact on your profitability. You didn't actually raise prices on anybody. And the only big downside is most product people don't have authority on commission plans but if you have influence i think that's a huge win
1: nice see and i thought for sure your two things are going to be like implement the all six of these items and then tell me about it <laughs> but now <laughs> <laughs> you will prioritize the two of the six that was well done mark <laughs> that's almost
2: like cheating if i did that wouldn't
1: it <laughs> maybe why i expected it of you <laughs> maybe all right. As always, Mark, thank you so much for coming in, dropping your knowledge. Great actionable advice, great ways for all of us to really have a strong impact on our organizations when we have these kind of price controls on our products. And honestly, in our careers, we see it all the time in our surveys. Like if you start to wield influence on this area of pricing, the impact you have on the organization is unparalleled and it makes a big difference in your career. So highly, highly.
2: Wait, I want I want to add on to that. Okay. There is nobody in your company that understands the value of your products. We just talked about that. Mm-hmm. They don't understand what pricing actually means. If you, whoever you are, take the time to figure out what value is and how that impacts pricing, you will be so unique inside your company. I'd be shocked if you did not get promoted.
1: I would 100% agree. And we at see so they get promoted and they get more money. So it's like your More very money. own pricing strategy for yourself, right? <laughs> it's true. We see it in the annual survey. If you have influence, if you play in this area, and not necessarily something people are going to hand to you, but they're going to be excited about the inputs that you give in this area because you do come from market evidence and background. So that's our do, it, do good. Focus on pricing. Nice. All right, Mark. As always, it was absolute pleasure having you on today. Thank you for joining us.
2: Rebecca, it is always fun to be here with you.
1: Excellent. All right. That does it for today's episode. Thank you everyone for listening. And don't forget to join us next week when we tackle another great topic designed to help you elevate your product, your company, and your career.